With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. We've got a win to talk about today following Tottenham's 3-1 victory over Nottingham Forest on Saturday and we'll also be looking ahead to this weekend's Premier League clash against Southampton at St Mary's. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, good, good. It's nice to have a win to talk about after the uh, the previous podcast. Just a shame that we know we've got the international break looming on the horizon, which we absolutely adore with a passion because it's so fun and entertaining. Um, but yeah, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. It's Tottenham, so there'll be loads of stuff still to probably talk about and madness will ensue. But uh, no, it's nice to be able to talk about a win. Right, let's get straight into the win then. Uh, 3-1 against Nottingham Forest, certainly a much-needed win for Tottenham after those, you know, not good results against Sheffield United, Wolves and then AC Milan as well in the Champions League. Uh, Harry Kane at the double, Son Heung-min getting a a goal as well and a good performance from Richarlison to boot as well. So you were in N17 on Saturday. What did you make of uh, the 90 minutes from Tottenham? Well, I would say we have to kind of add the big caveat, I guess, that if you wanted any team to rock up to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium after a bad week, it's probably Nottingham Forest. We've no disrespect for them because they may keep themselves up, but if you're going to be completely honest, their away record is horrendous. And they are probably the worst team I have seen at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this season. Um just for some reason, their home performances and away performances are like night and day. And just to put it into context, before they arrived on um, Saturday, they'd scored three goals away from home all season and won just once. Um, they just were really passive for like most of the first half. They were just kind of walking around in the centre of the pitch. There was one really weird moment when Oliver Skip kind of walked in between two standing Forest players and just took the ball and the Forest fans went mad in the corner. And it was that kind of, I'd say for a good hour or so, it was only really that Spurs took their foot off the gears in the in the gas in the last, like whatever it was, 10, 15 minutes. And that gave them this little kind of inroad back into the game. Otherwise, it really should have been, you know, maybe four or five nil. It should have been more, to be honest. Um, but the old cliche, you can only beat what's in front of you. And Spurs did. They played some decent football. Um, I don't think Steve Cooper, you know, for some reason was chucked into the managerial mix <laughs> linked with Spurs, which I thought was an interesting one with the uh, the team that and they are bottom, aren't they? They currently bottom, or they were bottom. For- Forest, no, Forest are about fourteen, something like that. They're, I think, maybe four points above oh, sorry, I'm thinking the of, relegation yeah. uh, spot. Away form. I'm looking. I looked at the away form table. That was what uh, was confused. Yeah, of course, of course they're not. Definitely they bottom of the away form. By saying looks like he might keep them up. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm talking about. It shows that that's what Tottenham does to you. It fries your brain. Um, yeah, 
I, I was a bit surprised that he was linked uh, with the Spurs job. And I don't think audition-wise this was the best in front of a big old crowd of about, I think it was 61,460 on Saturday. Um, yeah, Forrest weren't great, but Spurs did what they had to do. Um, it was exactly what I think everyone at the club needed. Um, obviously, it's been a week when the club, the owners, the players, Conte, everyone's pretty much been criticised uh, with everything that happened, getting out of two competitions. And um, yeah, I think if VAR hadn't made a bizarre decision that I still can't see the offside on, um, you know, I'm told it's there and it, it, it's that's what set the line off and, and that's why it was offside. But I still can't see it every time I look at the image that's meant to tell me that it is offside. Um, and there were other little moments as well. And, you know, it was I guess it was good to get back to the old staples of seeing Harry Kane scoring, seeing Sonny scoring. And like you say, really a bright performance from Richarlison, um, who we'll go into a little bit more depth on. And, um, yeah, Harry Kane edging closer to records, kind of almost did set one record. Sonny on 99 Premier League goals. It was just, it was just one of those days when I think it was just like an air of relief around the stadium. Fans, uh, I think they were, how do I put this? I think it could have quite easily been a toxic atmosphere on Saturday with everything that had happened. But the Spurs fans, to be absolutely fair play to them, kind of really got behind the team. I think it helped that Spurs came out the traps quite quickly. They had the goal disallowed, but they looked like they were trying to do something. Um, and in the end, it was just like one of those Saturdays where, I'm not going to go as far to say everyone fell back in love with Tottenham again. Because, um, like I say, it, it wasn't you know that kind of performance, but certainly it just made people just let people enjoy their Saturday again, which was quite nice. Yeah, certainly a much needed win, but I think a lot of Tottenham fans would probably be questioning, well, where was this? Why yeah. uh, like a few days ago against AC Milan against Sheffield United? Because a really good opportunity to go through in two com two cup competitions as well as you know trying to sew up fourth in the Premier League. So, yeah, it was vital that they managed to get back to winning ways because, you know, it's really tight in the top four race and things could have gone quite sour, really, if they didn't pick up uh, maximum points against the team who have really been struggling uh, away from home. Forrest been very good at home. I think nine unbeaten. Home form will, you know, keep them up in the end if they are to stay up, not the form on the, the road, but you know, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And Tottenham did that. Uh, I think I'm with you on that offside goal. Really, really good start from Tottenham. Great ball from Oliver Skip to release Richarlison. Good movement from him. And certainly a finish from a player who you wouldn't think was short on confidence at the moment and not scored all season in the Premier League. Really, really yeah. good finish pass. Kaylor Navis and just looking at the offside, it's hard to tell. You just yeah. can't tell. I think it doesn't help with the angle it shows it. It's not like it's dead in line where Richarlison is and the defender is. What when it's on is, the TV companies have the ability. I remember they used to do this of like it's almost like a digital rendering of it where they they like they they like move the camera kind of um, what's it called? Not like virtual reality, but. There's some kind of way that we used to get this image. Remember where it would level it up and you'd look across the goal. You can do it. So you can do it when they're um, on with the goal line technology. You see it happen. Suddenly there's this camera angle that you know you don't really have, but it's almost like a computer generated version of it. 
So I don't understand why in that situation they can't do that and just suddenly show you a side-on image. And I think it would clear it up a lot. There must be the technology now to be able to do that. But I, th I think they do that maybe in Champions League. I is think that what we're doing? right. I, I think it is. Yeah. Well, we've seen that technology before. I mean, when it's yeah. literally a matter of millimeters and like barely anything in it, surely you just got to give the attacker benefit of the doubt. Yeah, one of the other journals. In my saying, opinion, they've just got rid of the whole. You've got if you're level, you're onside. It's just gone that rule, isn't it? If you've got like a millimetre of anything that might be protruding past, and it wasn't even the part of your body that you ended up scoring the goal with, it's offside. I don't know. Maybe that should be the rule. Maybe, I don't know, would, would that work? The, the part of your body you scored with had to be offside. I don't know. Does that work? I don't even know that causes more problems, but I just find it odd. That'd certainly make more sense. Uh, the rules change all the time anyway, so I'm sure we'll yeah. probably have a different rule next season than a different one the, the year after. But yeah, unfortunately, a goal for Richarlison chalked off in the end, but that certainly didn't stop his performance. Uh, obviously, I wasn't at the game on Saturday. I was scouting future opposition. Uh, so <laughs> do you just want to tell us, Ali, about Richarlison's performance? Scouting for you. Is that is that what the way we're gonna Yeah <laughs> we're gonna turn going to Everton now, is it? Fantastic. Yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, that's throwing me. Um so, <laughs> yeah, he was look, it, it'd been an interesting week, to put it mildly, for Richarlison, um, after his comments and let's be honest, Antonio Conte's I thought it was quite a funny <laughs> response. Um, you know. Richarlison saying, oh, you know, my season's been a bit like beep, insert swear word there, um, kind of meaning, you know, it's just been a difficult one, injuries, lack of minutes, all of the above, and Conte just kind of came out with, yeah, no, I agree with him, his season has been beep, as if, say, he, because he hasn't been very good, um, and yeah, he, he was not going to accept any responsibility, Conte, do you know what, I don't, really feel he has to too much i definitely think there's been moments where we've kind of felt that maybe sonny needed a little bit of a rest a little bit of a reset and it didn't happen there maybe the games where richarlison could have come in but i do think on the whole richarlison himself has done himself no real favors i mean i'm sorry the amount of appearances he's had for a 60 million pound player and he still hasn't scored a goal in any other game than one in the champions league it's not good enough it's not but what I did feel on Saturday was it was the old classic. He did he let his kind of his feet do the talking. Um, he worked incredibly hard. Spurs fans were really kind of getting behind him. He set the tone, I feel, for the way Spurs played with his urgency, his movement, his battling. Um, and he was, you know, obviously, like you say, fantastic finish for what probably should have been a goal early on from a brilliant skippy ball. Um and then uh, first goal, he was battling away down the right-hand side, wasn't he? Got the ball across. Ben Davies kept it going. Then Porro put in the beautiful cross for Kane to head in. Then obviously second goal, nice run, nice movement. Nutmeg ball from Kane to him and he's brought down. Oh, the look on his face. But it's like he turned around with the ball as if to say, it's like, me? Can I take the penalty? And it's like, no, no, you can't. So you That's why we have designated penalty takers at clubs. 
Um, I saw some people on Twitter in the aftermath going, oh, Kane was so selfish. He should have given the ball to Richarlison who needed the goal. I'm, I'm sorry. I completely disagree with that. If you have a, a penalty taker and he takes your penalties every time, the manager will say, uh, no, we're not here for sentiment. We're not here for like you know nice moments. Maybe if the game's like 5-0, whatever, yeah, okay. But ultimately, Harry Kane's penalty taker, he scored 59 penalties for Spurs. You know, Richards has got a reasonable record. I looked it up. I think he's only missed one out of about eight, and it was in the the um, Olympics, I think it was, for Brazil. Um, but I'm sorry. Harry Kane takes that penalty every single time. Um, so, yeah, Richards looked... And he, he often has that face of like a boy that's been told off by his mum. He's always got that kind of look on his face. Um, and he handed it over. But then it kind of didn't let him uh, put him off at all. I thought he just kept on going kept battling away. Um, and these are the kind of performances that, yes, the goal wasn't there, but I do think they're the performances that remind Conte quite how important he can be, I think. I mean, the one thing I would say with his pre-match quotes that kind of got him in a bit of trouble were that he was talking about having played a couple of games and won you know, the West Ham and Chelsea games kind of forgot about his absolutely horrendous performance against Sheffield United. That that mysteriously vanished from his mind when he was talking about the reasons why he should play. And there, that, for me, are the kind of days that he needs to be so much better on. Um, I'm all for his battling. I'm all for the way he winds up the opposition as well. Um, but, yeah, he, he's got to... Um, he's, got, he's got to be better in, in the matches that, you know, he really should be, and he's expected to do better in as well. I mean, he got an assist, obviously, as well. Um, almost was a really nice assist with the first-time ball, but it got cut out the last second. Comes back to him, showed a lot of composure, and teed up Sonny, who was, it was actually it was vintage Sonny. It was a lovely touch inside and, and shot from him. Um, and then Richardson, when he did go off, he got a standing ovation from like all corners of the stadium, obviously not from the Forest fans, but everyone else. Um, and... Yeah, th this this kind of needs to be now a platform for him to build on. I would have thought against Southampton, probably stick with him after that. I think it would be quite harsh to take him out of the team. Um, he just needs to score that goal. That's twice now we've seen him go off on kind of celebrations <laughs> that have unfortunately ended up with nothing. Um, but yeah, this, this was a step in the right direction, but still a lot more needed from a £60 million player for me. You can't pay £60 million for a workhorse. You need more than that. He didn't even really celebrate the goal either, did he? I think he, he just like walks away towards... That sort of stuff. I can't remember. Yeah, well, he certainly didn't run off like he did against no, Fulham in yeah. September when he scored, but walked off towards the direction of the Forest fans. And yeah, good to see him obviously find the back of the net even though it didn't count and also just have quite a big impact on proceedings as well as you were saying involved in the first uh the second goal won the penalty and then the third really unlucky with that first time ball because that was actually some really good passes from Spurs yeah. at that point to get it to him to set him free on the right and then you know credit to him as well for keeping his composure uh once the ball had come back to him after Joe Worrell had had cleared it and as you were saying good finish from Son it's a performance that he certainly needed uh, 
as we've said on the podcast a number of times, strikers are always going to be judged on the goals, especially you know attacking players who will cost sixty million and his goal output hasn't been good enough uh, this season. The injuries, of course, have played a massive part in it, and then it's always going to be hard for him to come off the bench with twenty minutes at times when you know in games when Tottenham have been struggling themselves and. Always going to be tough to come into a game like that and make an impact. But, you know, I think he showed everyone on Saturday, you know, why he is this £60 million player with a really good performance. It's just the goals he needs now. Uh, I'd start him against Southampton. I wouldn't see any reason why you change that front three. No, I don't. Uh, Especially with Son Kane scoring and Richardson putting in a really good performance. Uh, So, yeah, I'd. I'd keep faith with him and there's going to be opportunities for him against Southampton in front of goals there struggling at the moment and I think it might just be a case of they're going to want to scrap so I think you need a player that's going to battle back and he definitely is that yeah you know you're always going to get those qualities from Richarlison he'll always work hard for the team he'll always go back and defend and he'll have an impact you know in both thirds of the pitch but it's in the final third uh, where he needs to be having an impact for Tottenham now and I think it might just be a case of once he gets one goal then it'll be up and running but the level of performance needs to you know be right at the top because Dane Kulisevsky is waiting to come back into the team and if he performs well then Richarlison might find himself back on the bench but you know uh, good performance and I think there's certainly more to come from Richarlison over the coming weeks yeah no I agree I agree it's it's when he plays like that, suddenly Spurs attacking options look quite exciting again. Because, you know, when you've got Kulusevsky, who does need a little bit of um, a kick up the backside himself, I think, you know, as all young players do, I think his consistency's dropped a little bit recently. And I think he needs to feel like, okay, I need to kick on myself now again. Um, and when Richardson plays like that, and like we say, potentially plays again. Um, I do think it makes a difference. So, yeah. And then you've got Lucas and apparently An- Arnold Danjuma, allegedly. <laughs> right. One player who did get an assist on Saturday, Pedro Porro's first assist for the club. That is one Tottenham fans have been waiting for quite a while because he's a player who has three goals, 11 assists this season uh, during his time at Sporting CP. He's had a couple of starts for Tottenham, showed, you know, some good bits of play and as is the case for foreign players coming to the Premier League it is always going to take him a bit of time uh, to get used to the demands of the Premier League and I think we're starting to see you know glimpses of Porro he's uh, best in what he can offer for Tottenham uh, really good ball in for Kane really good header uh, from the striker as well to find the back of the net and I think Porro certainly left Tottenham fans wanting more yeah this was Probably his best performance so far. Um, I feel like he's adapting. I think you can see he's taking it all on board. It's a world away from his performance against Leicester. You know, the first, um, his, his debut. Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, he, he was the star of the match day programme. There was a good little interview in there with him where he essentially said, well, he admitted the first few weeks were really tough. Um, he really found it such a different league. It's a different style. Um, and obviously, you know, he had to settle into a really, really strong mentality he felt in the Premier League among the players. It's like it's a real different mindset. Um, 
And, you know, he's very popular in the squad already. You can see that. He's a bit like Sonny. There's always a smile on his face. Seems like a bit of a joker, a bit of a Regulon type in that respect. Um, and, yeah, every time kind of, we were at watch training ahead of the uh, Champions League game and having watched a few videos as well, everyone seems to be kind of mucking around with him and, and like joking with him. He seems very much to have settled in quite quickly. And I think that's probably aided his adaptation on the pitch as well. Um, and obviously, he's now actually working with Conte. Obviously, he didn't have too much time with him, really, before Conte went off. Um, so I think, did he have much time at all? He must have had a little bit, didn't he, before? Um, uh, only a little bit of time, I think, at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Not long at all. But so obviously, he's now working with him directly. And I think that's why you're seeing performances like this. Um, and he was involved in all three goals. Obviously, lovely cross for the first goal, but the second goal. Really nice chip ball through to Kane, which we all kind of wondered what he was doing. I was like, oh, actually, that's a lovely ball through to Kane. It put him into loads of space, which gave him the time to play the pass of Richarlison, who was then brought down. And also, the third goal, if you look at it, it's a really confident pass from Porro, just outside his own box. It goes in between two players to Romero, who then plays a really nice ball down to the wing to Richarlison. Um, so he's, he's found his place. I do think playing alongside Romero has probably helped him. Uh, with no disrespect to Davin Sanchez and Jaffet Tenganga. Romero's a little bit more of a controlling, dominant presence when he's on the right of that back three. And I think that helps Porro as well. Um, made a couple of good tackles as well. There was one that I saw went straight up on his Instagram after the game. He slid into a big uh, sliding tackle at the back, which was good. Yeah, I think he's um, he's finding his place in that team. And I think the players trust him. You see Harry Kane is always playing the ball out to him. We know Kane loves to play the switch the ball out to the right wing back thing. He always does that. And look, Emerson's had a terrific few months. He's really kind of shown that he can uh, play his part in this this team. But what I would say is when Kane switches it out to Porro, he knows there's probably going to be more of a direct threat and that Porro can immediately get flying up there and put in a cross or do whatever. Um, and and he's also a player that likes to get in the box on one side. I think that was one of the nice things from Conte's perspective about the um, Kane goal, the first one, was that it was Porro inside the box crossing. Uh, no, sorry. Um, first off, it was Ben Davies wing back on the left hand side inside the box. Obviously, you know he he could have had a shot of goal had that cross been kind of coming towards him, but as it was, he kept the move alive. And then Porro's inside the box as well, and that's. Just, exactly what Conte drills into those wingbacks that he wants them both in the box as well um, and Porro's starting to adjust to the demands really well I think you know with Emerson having a little kind of a knee issue that seems to have been recurring a little bit in recent weeks I think that's helped Porro get a little bit of extra game time um, and you know and you do wonder just like I mean was it, did Emerson start against Milan he didn't it feels like an age ago now he yeah, did. Emerson, Emerson um, did, yeah. Porro yeah. came on early second half. Yeah, and you do wonder whether having the slight, as well as Emerson's been playing, having the slightly more direct attacking threat of Porro in that game, could they have actually created a bit more? I don't know. Um, it's all doesn't really matter now they're out and gone um, of that competition. But no, I was, I was really pleased with Porro. I'm pleased for him, really, because these are the kind of performances that are just going to build his confidence more and more. I know Spurs put out that little training ground clip this week where he's banging him into the top corner with both feet uh, during a, like a practice match. So, yeah, it'd be, you'd, again, you'd think you'd stick with Porro for the Southampton game. You'd think. 
um, unless he feels that he needs a more defensive wing back, which you can never rule out with Conte. But I'd like to see Porro given another go because, yeah, I think he's now starting to build a bit of rhythm and that uh, bodes well for the future. Yeah, uh, I don't think we'll see the best of him this season. I think it might be a case of like when Lucas Mora signed in yeah. uh, 2018, uh, had the final five months of that season you know to get used to Pochettino's ways and his demands and then Lucas really started the following season on fire scored those two goals at Old Trafford I think he scored against Fulham as well at Wembley so it might be similar for Porro just you know just get used to the Premier League in these first few months and then next season make that position your own and that's when we can maybe really see him getting those goals and assists on a regular basis like he has done for Sporting CP in the past. That's why he was brought to Tottenham in the end. Tottenham needed a more attacking right wing back, more quality in the final third and I think that's what they're going to get from Porro. So yeah, really good to see him uh, get an assist. Hopefully there's a few more to follow and then hopefully few more goals as well because he certainly showed it in training that he knows where the back of the net is with both feet as well. I think he uploaded a clip to his Instagram account and Twitter account as well. Uh, one of them left foot curling effort into the top corner then exactly the same opposite side of the goal with his right foot and then a nice whip finish into the bottom corner as well. So he can certainly have a big impact going forward for Tottenham. 11 games now remaining in the season. You know, uh, I'd certainly be starting against Southampton. And if he can follow up his Forest performance at Saints, then I think he'll be the starting right wing back, you know, come the final few weeks of the campaign. Yeah, I agree. You don't pay £40 million and then just kind of rotate him when you've got a game every week and there's no midweekers. Um I think now's the chance for him to kind of stake his claim. And, and like you say, do it again against Southampton. And I think, yeah, you start to see him then in that role for the uh, for the long term, which is, you know, it, it's no disrespect to Emerson, who I can only keep stressing, has been playing out of his skin, you know, in, in the last few months or so. Um, but Spurs need goals. They need to attack. And, and I think in the bulk of these games now, you know, they really need to be on the front foot. And I think that's what Porro brings. Speaking of goals, Harry Kane, 20 goals now in the Premier League uh, this season. Really good totals so far from 27 Premier League games. Obviously overshadowed quite a bit by Erling Haaland. I think he's on 28 in the Premier League already. 39, I think he's got all competitions now after that five-goal haul against Leipzig in midweek uh, but when you look at Kane's contribution going forward this season I think it's really really uh, impressive given you know Tottenham struggles at times in some games he's got them out of jail a number of times and 11 games now remaining in the Premier League he'll be targeting 30 goals this season and I think that's certainly achievable with you know the games coming up the likes of Southampton uh, away and I think they've got who else have they got? They've got Everton coming up, uh, Brentford, then Brighton after the international break. So there's going to be opportunities on goal for him then. And I think the last time he got 30 goals was 2017-18. So, yeah, he's uh, he's flying in the Premier League 
And that's only a good thing for Tottenham because they're certainly going to need the goals in what remains of the season if they are to finish in the top four. Now, on the subject of Kane, I think you want to speak about his contract, don't you, Ali? So I think it's 15 months remaining now. It's going to be a major talking point uh, this summer as he enters the final 12 months of his contract. And, and everyone connected with Tottenham are just hoping he puts pen to paper on the new deal at the club. Yeah, we're, we're getting to that kind of stage now where I think you know some people are going to start getting a bit nervy um, over what the future holds. It's an interesting one. Spurs are taking it quite slowly. Um, from what I understand, you know, Fabio Paratici has, has spoken to Kane's camp on on a couple of occasions, but it's been more about, you know, for the, let, let's sit down. Let's sit down and have a chat about the whole contract thing. From what I understand, there's no formal discussions over any new contract that's taken place yet. It's just like, I guess, can you call it as in, intent? I don't even know if you can go that far. It, it's almost like, yeah, let's have a chat about that kind of thing. So I don't think they're at that stage yet. Um, and from what I understand, you know, it all remains exactly the same with Kane, that he'd, he's absolutely open to to discussing a new deal um, and, and what that entails and what the club propose and what the club's future plans are and everything. From what I understand, his future is not intertwined with Antonio Conte's at all, which I think for Spurs fans will be great news because, you know, all signs seem to point at this at this moment to, to an Antonio Conte exit in the summer. Um, so you really don't want Kane's uh, future tied up with that at all. Um, and yeah, look, if I, I don't, it, we can't really get away from the fact that Kane has always made it very clear his primary goal is to win silver with Tottenham. Everyone always goes on about him wanting to win silver, and we get that. And absolutely, of course he does. It's 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 the most obvious common sense in the world. Any football player wants to win silverware. But Kane has always said his primary objective is to win that silverware with Tottenham. And I guess it's a case now of him believing, can he do it at Tottenham? Can he, you know, because if I'm honest with you, look, as I, as I always am, I'm not saying I lie to you, um, <laughs> but... If, if you've got to be completely honest about this subject, you know, Kane should have like a back injury most weeks because he carries this team so much. Um, and he's, if I'm him, I'm thinking, is this cup ever going to come? You know, yes, I agree sometimes with people's views that sometimes in the big games, he hasn't quite been at his best. I would go along with that. I wouldn't say everyone, every game, but I do think there's been some big games when maybe... He needed to take it by the scruff of the neck and he hasn't been able to. But I would say, on the whole, it's kind of what's going on around him. You know, he is Spurs' world-class player. He is. If you're going to pick one player in that team to be world-class, I think undoubtedly it's Harry Kane. I think he is. I think there's a few others who, when they're on form, push for that tag. But I think with Harry Kane, you can just clearly say it is. Uh, he, he is. So... <sighs> It's all about him now. If I'm him, I'm looking to see what's happening with Tottenham next. I want to know, are they in the Champions League next season? I want to know, who is the next manager going to be? Are we starting a big new project again? Or are we um, absolutely going for it next season? Um, and yeah, and then I make my decision. I don't think there's any rush from the sounds of it from either side right now. It's one of those where I think both assume these talks will happen. 
but there's no kind of real rush to do it until they get a little bit more clarity on what the future holds. You'd imagine Spurs will be the ones that will want to start them off, um, kickstart it. But yeah, I guess from what the feeling I get as well is that I, I think with Spurs, that well, I can tell you straight off that they continue to maintain there's absolutely no intention of selling Kane this summer. Um, I know some people will, especially in maybe the general media that don't cover Tottenham week in, week out, there's very much, a, oh, but you know, Spurs won't want to lose him on a free transfer. I don't think it's as cut and dried as that um, because... There's two elements to that in that Spurs, let's be honest, if you're going to replace Harry Kane, you've got to buy two players. You've got to buy a number nine and you've got to buy a creative midfielder as well because he, he performs both roles for you. So whatever money you'll get, let's say, I don't know, some of the figures we've seen have been something like, what, 70 million, something like 60, 70, 80 million we've seen, anywhere in that range. You're immediately splashing that out on two players. Um, and even that's a gamble to see whether those two players can replicate what he does. That's how big he is. Then the second element to it is, is let's be honest, a team, a Tottenham team without Harry Kane has less chance of reaching the um, the top four. Um, and if you take that logic into kind of consideration as well, you're missing out on the millions, absolutely millions. I mean, um, I mean... I've got to put the numbers here somewhere. There we go. In 2019, when Spurs reached the final of the Champions League, they made 90 million that season from the Champions League. Even the next season, when they only reached the um, last 16 under Jose Mourinho, 61 million. You'd imagine each year that money has only gone up as well. So obviously Spurs reaching the last 16, you'd think it would be more than 61 million they'll make this time. So it's so hugely financially important for them to, to reach that. So it's all very well saying... Oh, yeah, no, you've got to sell Harry Kane. Otherwise, you're going to lose that 60, 70 million. But you're kind of losing that anyway if Spurs don't make the top four because they sold Harry Kane. So it's, it's for me, it's like a much of a muchness. And if I'm Daniel Levy, um, I'm probably looking at it in that way as well. He's actually worth more to me seeing out his contract than he is going a year early. Um, or sorry, or at least he, he balances out the finances doing that. Um so, yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. You, you, you hear different kind of things, you know. I've heard some people thinking, saying that very much he Kane really needs to be convinced. There's other people saying that there actually seems to be a bit of a confidence that he will sign a new deal. Um, I personally think it's somewhere in the middle. I think everyone needs a bit of clarity on what comes next. Um, look, I've seen some of the names linked with the Spurs job if Conte does leave, and... Some of those names on that list are not going to convince Harry Kane that he's going to have a great chance to to win big things with Tottenham. Some of them might, um, but I, I, if like I say, if I'm Harry Kane, I'm not too worried about the fact that Spurs haven't got into formal talks yet because I think everyone needs this couple of months. I think to really look at what comes next. Um, but yeah, I think the key thing for Spurs fans to take away from it is that Kane is open to discussing a new deal. And I think that's a big thing. You know, he's not intending to walk out on a free transfer. Um, I would imagine there's probably an acceptance after what happened a couple of summers ago that, yes, you can't expect that you're just going to leave this summer. Um, it doesn't work like that. Daniel Levy doesn't work like that. 
Um, and there's certainly some noises that Man U, who are kind of the main name that we keep seeing linked, are not up for a big summer of trying to do what City did two summers ago. Um, and also, I know they've won the Carabao Cup this year, but I, I wouldn't say that United are a guaranteed big trophy team um, in the years ahead yet. They could become. Ten Hag, I think, is doing a terrific job. But, you know, I don't know if winning the Carabao Cup is is the dream for, for Kane. Uh, but yes, I do think they'll push on next season as well. Um, but yeah, now it's interesting to see. Um, the man's a machine. He, you know, like the stats say, getting those 20 Premier League goals means he's the first man to do it in, isn't it? Sorry, third man to do it in six seasons um, in the Premier League, which is ridiculous in itself. And bearing in mind the other three seasons, I think he's had like 18 goals in the Premier League and two 17s. So it's not even like he had poor seasons in the other ones. He is closing in on Wayne Rooney. I think he's only five off his 208 goals for the, in the Premier League now. Um, and then obviously there, there's Alan Shearer. And I think the whole Shearer stuff is good for Spurs because it really means that he's unlikely to go abroad. So that shortens the options as well. Um and yeah, it all makes it quite difficult. And obviously, you know, some people might say, oh yeah, but a club just could come in with a massive bid. Look, any Spurs fan would immediately say, sign up Kane for a massive long contract because I do think he's going to still be prolific into his mid-30s. But if I'm another club on the outside, I maybe look at it and think, oh, he's 30 this year, uh, this summer. One year left on his contract. Is it really financially prudent for us to spend 60 70 80 million on a player like that i'm going to whisper it quietly but yes it is <laughs> but i'm hoping that nobody realizes that um but yeah so that's the Kane situation pretty much as is and uh, we shall see what happens next another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I was actually just going to say that exact point, what you made about, uh, you know, Kane turning 30 this summer. Manchester United are looking to build a team for the long term under Eric Ten Hag. Then maybe someone like Victor Oshiman at Napoli might be the better option for them. Even though you know you know you're going to get a number of goals from Kane and assists every season. And yeah, just very quickly, I was told about Ten Hag that I know they've brought Veghorst in as it's almost like a an interim striker. I was told that he wants uh, like quite a pacey striker to lead his his way of his system. So, look, I know Kane's ridiculous and, and Kane 
yeah, probably elevates Man U to a whole other level. I'm probably ruining my point about them maybe not being a guarantee of silverware, but I think maybe they would actually be the more I think about it with him there. But yeah, I do wonder about that, whether Kane is actually the best fit for what they're trying to do. Personally, I think he fits into any system, but I do wonder that with Ten Hag, whether he doesn't push them that much to try and sign him. I don't know. It's just me kind of yeah. speculating. Yeah, well, United are definitely heading in the right direction, made massive strides under Ten Hag this season, already won the Carabao Cup. You'd probably fancy him to get to the FA Cup final and maybe win that. Same with the Europa League as well. And they'll be looking to strengthen, you know, in the summer and take the team to the next level. But there's certainly no guarantees in football. Kane could potentially go there and what, win a couple of trophies, maybe a League Cup and an FA Cup. But if he stayed at Tottenham, he could win one trophy. And that one trophy would mean so much more to him that he's won it at Tottenham than winning a couple of, you know, League Cups at Manchester United. And also, if he was to stay at Tottenham, he could break Alan Shearer's all-time Premier League goal-scoring record just playing for the one club. Yeah. Uh, So we'll have to see what happens in the summer, but I think it's one of those, just give it a couple of months. There's no immediate rush for Kane to sign right now because you don't know what's going to happen at Tottenham in a couple of months' time. You can sign the contract now and I don't know, Tottenham could make an appointment like they did with Nuno two years ago. And then... Nuno back? Yeah, you could be stuck. Uh, So I think it's just a case of for Kane just taking time and just seeing what happens at Tottenham and yeah fingers crossed he will still be a Tottenham player next season and going forward because he's just such an important player for the club right as we're now just past the halfway point in the pod Ali do you want to tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN yep if you're not aware by now the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use this service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, so that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Um, It's something I've done repeatedly, whether it be on holiday, whether it be on work, um, trying to kind of use various things I've paid for in the UK that for some unknown reason you then can't use as soon as you cross an international border. Um, So, you know, the beauty of NordVPN is is it allows you to make your devices just believe they're back in their home country. So you can still catch up on everything that you've paid for to watch. Um, I've never understood that, why you can't do that. I'm sure there's some logical reason somewhere. But, yeah, it's a really good way of doing that. And that's just kind of one of the many, many things it it gives you as well as... uh, just simply security uh stopping people if you're on public wi-fi from getting into your stuff it's very secure um and yeah it's 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 quite kind of a clever thing to get it really because the outlay on a nordvpn subscription is cheaper for you in the long run so like i say you can purchase your streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate um I mean, like, you could book flights from other countries as well, um, which can be cheaper too if you're setting your location to be in that other country. So it means that you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. Um, There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, a couple more points I think we need to touch on on the Nottingham Forest win before we move on to Saturday's game at Southampton. I think someone who deserves an awful lot of praise at the moment, Fraser Forster. Uh, good performance between the sticks against Forest. One absolutely fantastic save from Sergio Aurier's header from a corner and then also a penalty save as well. I mean... It was a terrible penalty from Andre Ayew, let's be honest, but we still got to save them. And, you know, Foster's come in over the past month or so with Hugo Lloris out injured. And I think he's performed really, really well, uh, to be honest. I think that Wolves made a number of great saves. Uh, obviously, maybe could have done better with Adama Traore's goal when he pushed out towards him. But on the whole, really, really good showing uh, against Forrest. I think maybe as well could have done better for Joe Worrell's goal. If you're coming out for the ball from a corner, you, I think you've got to claim it. Got nowhere near it with obviously Felipe heading it on. But yeah, that he's been a, a very, very good signing for Tottenham on a free transfer. Yeah, I think we were discussing in the last pod, weren't we, about is I think I called him as signing of the season. Uh, sorry, signing of the summer, which was a little bit, maybe a, a damning indictment of the transfer window <laughs> when you look at it. Um, I think you went for long lay, didn't you? Yeah. And I yep. kind of ignited that conversation in the uh, the media area ahead of the game. Um, and interestingly, most of the journalists went for long lay as well. And it was quite interesting because as the game wore on, I could see them all looking towards me kind of thing as Forster was getting better and better as the game wore on. And actually, I think a lot of them decided by the end of that game, they came round to the view that maybe the 34-year-old backup goalkeeper has actually ended up being the signing of the summer. Um, yes, he should have done better for Forrest goal. Absolutely. He came out and it was quite unusual for him. He's been quite composed with big crosses because he's a big guy. He doesn't really miss many of them. Um, and he did flap at that one a bit. But what I would say was not only that brilliant save from Aurier, um, and there was one low down as well from Johnson, I think he also saved from, and maybe Dennis as well, I think. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was now. I can't remember. But And then obviously he made more than made up for it with a penalty save, um, which was a really good like sudden hand. He's got really good reflexes. Um, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was really, really good. I think he another player like Porro. It's, it's not it's not rocket science. They look sharper with each passing game as they get more of a rhythm. Especially, you know, um, Forster hasn't played for so long as a um, in terms of regular football. You know, it's been a while. So no, I think he did really well. Um, and the thing that's impressing me probably the most about him, and it, I must admit, it's not what I would have associated with him, is his footwork and distribution. He's very confident on the ball. There's been a few occasions now where he's done a little kind of Cruyff turn almost, stepped inside with the ball when strikers have run at him and fooled them completely. But his distribution as well. Um, when you look at a goalkeeper's stats on like any stats site after a game, you'll often find that their percentage is quite low, especially when they're hitting the ball long. 
Um, but actually, Forster's on Saturday was 100%. Every one of his 16 passes he made reached a man, and that included two long balls, reached the player as well. Um, I've been really impressed with it. And obviously, look, if you go Larice, people know what I think about him. I do think he is one has been one of the world's best goalkeepers. But distribution is not his strong point. It's not. With his feet, he, he rushes and he panics, and it's just not a part of his game that's his greatest. I've been really impressed with Forsters. And I do think, while Loris will probably come into the team, I'd imagine when he comes back, Forsters really made that dis- decision a more difficult one than it probably was expected to be with Loris coming back as well. And I'm sure there's some people that will want him to continue and think he should. Um, yeah, but fair play to Forster. He's he's a kind of an, an imposing presence. I think he passes on a calmness to a lot of the other defenders as well. Um, Eric Dyer was praising him after the game, saying about the great saves he's made. Um, and, you know, and just, he, he got, I've got to work the quote here, actually. He's got a lot of experience. He's a very reassuring presence back there. And I think that says it all. Um, yeah, fair play to him. He seems a very down-to-earth guy as well. And, um, yeah, it, goalkeepers. He would have known signing on when he came to Tottenham that he probably was just going to end up playing cup games. But sometimes you get an opportunity like this and, and he's grasped it quite literally with both hands. Yeah, he's been fantastic. Uh, I do think Hugo Lloris will come straight back in. Uh, I think obviously after that injury, we were saying it was maybe a what six to eight week timeline potentially for his recovery. So I think be next couple of games when Lloris is back. Foster's certainly made his case and I definitely agree with you that he's made it a harder decision, you know, for containing his coaching staff, but it's maybe Larissa only gonna come back in as he is Tottenham captain. Maybe. Would say if he wasn't the captain of the club and given the up and down season he's had, would you maybe just stick with Foster if he wasn't captain? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Just if he's the man kind of with the shirt. Does does Lloris have to win it back? I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think in normal circumstances, probably would have to try and win it back. But in these current circumstances, as the club captain, I think Conte is a big fan of Lloris as well, by the yeah. sounds of it. So, yeah, I'd imagine he comes back in. Yeah. On the subject of Antonio Conte, then, I think you noticed something about him from your seat in the press box, didn't you, in terms of his body language at the weekend? Yeah, I think it started a little bit earlier. I think it started in his press conference before the game on the on the Friday. Um, after the Milan match, I've never seen Antonio Conte look so passive, so just resigned to the defeat, you know, constantly reminding us that Milan won the Serie A last season. Yeah, we know, we know. He told us about 20 times, I think. Um, and he just looked like a guy that was like, meh, what can I do? And then on Friday... I think maybe fired up a little bit by some of the criticism of him, um, maybe fired up by the fans' criticism of him as well, maybe fired up by the Richarlison interview, maybe just all of the above. He kind of came out swinging in his press conference and he was going for it. He was, he's kind of was a man that's just thought, oh, well, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do it my way. If you don't like it, get rid of me kind of thing. Um, and he was, you know, he had a pop at Richarlison. He's kind of saying that the fans' patience is completely gone now and it's not helping the players. 
which was a little bit cheeky, I think, but I kind of understood what he was saying and that the patience is gone because I think it kind of has to a degree. Um, and, yeah, I just felt that he looked like a guy that had a bit of fire back in him. He will have probably now be even further down the road of recovery, which will be helping him. But then in the match, yeah, on the touchline, he was he was back to the kicking every ball, Antonio Conte. I felt against Milan, he was almost going through the motions of what, it was like like an actor playing the Conte role on the touchline, a bit like Stellini had to do beforehand when he was away. Um, yeah, he got booked for protesting a decision or something, and it was a bit like, okay. But this, on Saturday, he was really fired up, and the goals, each goal he kind of celebrated like a bit of a madman, and that's what we're used to seeing, and he was enjoying his job again, I feel like. Um and yeah, and I think that's key for Spurs. With all the talk going on and with everything that's been said, I think if Conte has got the fire back in him and he's got, he, he won't admit this, but let's be honest, a game a week is a bit of his favoured scenario. Of course it is. It allows, him to, it allows any coach to work fully with a team on the training ground for each match. I just kind of feel like if, he was fired up that kind of fed onto the players and you saw a bit more of a high energy performance albeit against Forest who weren't great but still the, the proof in the pudding will be at Southampton on Saturday I think if we see a similar performance from him and the team on Saturday I personally would go as far to say I think Spurs will finish top four I think they will I think if he shows that he's got that fight and they've got a game a week I think they can do it. Uh, obviously, there's that crunch period coming up of the uh, Newcastle United-Liverpool week where they got all three of them in a row. But, you know, they could be in a situation by the time they get there, they might be able to have a little bit of a cushion. Um, so, yeah, but let's see what Conte we get. Obviously, we've got a press conference today, which I'll be heading off to after this. Um, and we'll see what kind of form he's in, and which Conte we get. But, yeah, I, I was quite... Um, well, I was pleased. I think it's the best way to put it. I was pleased to see that version of Conte. He's much more fun as a reporter. That was probably the best press conference we've had from him. He was absolutely just firing on all cylinders. Um, and I think I do think the f players feed off that, and I think it will be important the season goes on if he can stick in that mode rather than the kind of just <sighs> excuses, I guess, and moaning and, and deflecting blame. Um, and if he's fired up and really kind of raging a little bit, I think that's the best content. You should get the best Tottenham as well. Just before we move on to Southampton, there's also one other thing you want to talk about, and that's Ben Davis. Uh, oh. I know, obviously, he played at left wing back the other day against Forest with even Perisic on the bench. Uh, I think quite a few fans have had the say over Davis, and it's fair to say you don't agree with them. Yeah, well, it's not everyone, to be fair. I do wonder, and I could be completely wrong on this, I do wonder whether when you put something on Twitter about Ben Davies, it's like a natural age verification check. And you can very quickly tell maybe how old people are by their replies. Because, and I could be completely wrong, and it could be people much older that have a completely different view. But I just find it bizarre that you get a player that wants to give absolutely everything for your club. There's a really good... The reason I say this, I put a, an interview with him out because obviously he's reached the 300-game milestone for Spurs. And there was an interview with him 
which I thought summed up exactly why Ben Davies has been so important for Spurs over the last, what, eight and a half years. Um, it was all about this, his love for the club, his love for the fans, how he'll always give everything for this club because it's like in his blood now. It's his home. He loves it. Um, and I just, I must admit, I just despaired. I looked at some of the replies. I'd say it was about 50-50. And I looked at some of the replies and they were just the classic cliched, the fact that he's played 300 games for the club is an absolute indication of the problem. You know, he is part of the problem and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, maybe I'm just really old. I don't know. But when I was kind of a fan growing up, the fans loved those kind of players, the real kind of blood and thunder, give everything to the cause players. And, you know, you get fans now that absolutely go mad when they see a performance from a team that don't look like they care. And then Ben Davies, you never get that from Ben Davies. He gives everything. There's this, look, is he the most incredibly gifted, skillful player in the world? No. Is he as bad as people make out? Absolutely not. I think he's actually a very good footballer. I'd go as far to say that. I was going to say good, but I actually think he's a very good footballer. I think he's got good technique. I think his crossing is good. I mean, he's played, what, 304 games for Spurs. Often as a defensive left-back has been his role. He's got something like, I think it's 24 assists and eight goals. This is a guy who's contributed. Um, and you just saw, like I said earlier, the movement for the first goal, where it looked like a lost cause, but he anticipated it brilliantly, slid in, took the ball, knocked it back across, for Porro and Porro puts it in for the cross uh, for Kane to head in. And I just feel like I definitely can understand sometimes players that the fans can lump in and say, oh, they're, you know, absolutely indicative of why Spurs are, at, are the, where they are. I would never, ever put Ben Davies in that category. Honestly, I think you can, I think he said it himself in his interview. It was like, you can put me in any position and I'll work it out. I'll figure out how to play that position and I'll give the manager what he wants. Um, and we're seeing that now at left wing back. He's playing a role that is not his natural role. And I think everyone would agree. He's looking better than Perisic in it right now. I think he is. You know, people have brought up the last eight, so either eight or nine games. Every game that Davies has played at left wing back, Spurs have won. And every game that Perisic has played in that little run, they lost. And that's not to dig out Perisic, who I think had a really good first half of the season. He just is a bit kind of off the boil at the moment. But I just think with Davies, I just don't get it. And it honestly, very few things wind me up about football because I appreciate that social media is just a complete chaotic mess most of the time. It's it's opinions fueled by emotion. It's op uh, opinions fueled by, and I guess, a narrative and agenda that you want to kind of stick to. But when it comes to Ben Davies, I just wonder whether is it is it because he's a player that maybe I don't know I, I, on these FIFA and Football Manager and things like that is he not the kind of player that people would normally put you know it's almost like going a bit old school for a moment people want like a team of like Harlem Globetrotters like where every single player is a world class incredible player I'm sorry in the real world football doesn't work like that you need players like Ben Davies. Players like Ben Davies are the glue that kind of make sure that the more talent... I mean, how many talented, incredibly gifted players have Spurs had over the years that have cost them a hell of a lot of money, but ultimately just didn't have that mentality to make it? They didn't have that drive and hunger and desire to put their body on the line for the fans? And I'm sorry, I, have, <laughs> I was probably getting annoyed by this now, but, you know, there's no coincidence that Pochettino, uh, Nuno... 
Mourinho, Conte, every single one of them has seen Ben Davies as a really important player. And I wouldn't be shocked if he stays at the club. Probably, I was his deal up in 2025. If I am Spurs, he's the kind of player I would give a new contract to. Because you know, I think players like that, I saw someone even replied to me and, and said something like, Ben Davies is not the kind of player you get consistent top four finishes with and you finish and you go deep into the Champions League. I'm sorry, but you can't just say what you think your eyes see when Ben Davies has been in the Spurs team. And Spurs, if they finish fourth this season, which they may well do, they'll have finished fourth in six of the last eight seasons. And in the Champions League, all but once they've reached the knockout stages. So in what world is Ben Davies part of a problem that sees Tottenham never finish consistently in the top four or reach further into the Champions League? It's, it's, it's just rubbish. It's like, I think he gets lumped in with maybe Eric Dyer. I think Eric Dyer is a player who can be absolutely wonderful one week and absolutely calamitous the next. I don't see that with Ben Davies. I think Ben Davies is a consistently good player. I see people saying, oh, he's cost us this game, he's cost us that game. I think you would struggle to really find uh, a list or write down a list from those 304 performances where Ben Davies has directly contributed to a defeat. You might find a couple of times there's been a mistake. I remember way back, and I think this is the one that's always counted against him, when he was um, Sadio Mane roasted him kind of alive at Liverpool in one game. So many players have had that happen to them. Mane was one of the best, you know, in the Premier League. And, yeah, it just annoys me when I say that about Ben Davies. He's a, a genuinely really great guy who just loves Tottenham and wants to give everything for Tottenham. And and I see him doing that week in, week out. And I think he's such an underrated player as well. But I just feel like some people want 11 Mbappes in their team. And they don't kind of understand exactly what it means to to create a team and also a squad. Yes, we could all argue, you know, could you get a better player in this position or that position? But that doesn't mean he should... I've seen people saying 304 appearances too many for Spurs. You know, if he gets another contract, it's a disgrace and things like that. It's oh, I just... Yeah, that, that for me, it's... Uh, like I say, maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's uh, frustration just built up over Spurs not winning silverware, so they take it out on certain players. But I'm sorry, Ben Davies deserves to be at Spurs more than probably 80% of the players that have come through the door at the club. Um, so there you go. Sorry, that properly turned into a rant. But yeah, I, I just I don't get it. I don't get it. Have you finished, though? You're just having the breather. <laughs> No, no, I've finished. I've finished. <laughs> and also named the uh, vice captain of Wales, isn't he? They see him being the long-term captain of Wales as well. Yeah. Uh, Davis, it'll be nine years uh, in the summer since he moved from Swansea. Yeah, and he's Davis as well. I've always called him Davies, yeah. but apparently it's Davis, isn't it? He'll end up surpassing 10 years at the club. He'll get a testimonial for 300 appearances for the club. As I said it in the previous pod, you do not play 300 games for a Premier League club if you're a bad player. You just don't. And to be honest, I'm a bit bored about this conversation with Davis. Like, <laughs> every single week, it's absolutely ridiculous. He's, like you said, just consistent week in, week out. Yeah, he's had some, you know, a few bad performances. And that one at Liverpool 
when their man he got the better of him. But on the whole, he's been a really, really good buy for Tottenham worth every single penny. He's been a consistent member of, you know, Poch's team, Jose, Antonio, Nuno as well. And he's flourishing the left wing back now. So I just can't understand why he always comes in for criticism. And fair enough if you want to criticise him. But when he plays well, then give him praise. You yeah. can't just criticise him all the time. It's just it's not right. Anyway, let's move on to Southampton. Uh, the team for Southampton, I think... Ben Davies starts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben Davies definitely starts. I, I think it's got to be the same team. I don't see why yeah. you'd change a winning team. Uh, obviously, there was no Emerson last week against Forest after they had a bit of a kick in training. Uh, he has been spotted in training. This week, so you imagine he'll be back in the squad. Uh, Poros, for me, he's done enough to start. Same as Richarlison. Keep the back three as it is and Davis uh, left wing back. I just don't see any reason why you change it. No. No, I'm just trying to think there's any other injuries picked up. I don't think so that I can think of. We'll find out today. It may be that Conte springs something on us that we weren't expecting. But if there are no further problems, um, then yeah, I would stick with a winning team. I think you have to. I think you'd be mad to uh, to switch it up, really. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm trying to think of any position where I could see a potential change, but yeah, I I, I wouldn't do it myself. Uh, if they're all fit, just keep on going and try and build some momentum now. Yeah, especially with a week between the games at the moment. There's not so much of a need to rest and rotate, so same team, uh, Tottenham got to be on the ball though at St Mary's. It's a ground they've not had the best of records. Uh, in recent yeah. years, there was that 5-2 win when Sonny got four, uh, when Jose Mourinho was manager. I think it was a draw last year, a couple of controversial decisions, VAR with goals ruled out, a uh, couple of defeats in there. I think there was an FA Cup one, uh, or a Premier League defeat, and then a draw in the FA Cup. So yeah, Tottenham... Can't underestimate Saints. I know they've had a really poor season, bottom of the Premier League at the moment, a couple of points from safety. But then again, the one at Chelsea about a month ago, they got a point at Manchester United uh, last weekend, beat Leicester at home, and they can't be doing all they can to try and stay in the Premier League. So Tottenham really have to be on it and just try and keep up this uh, winning run, really, because if the win... Tottenham will go into the international break in third because Manchester United are in FA Cup action. I know then United will have two games in hand on Tottenham and then Liverpool who aren't playing as well this weekend, they'll have two games in hand. But come the final few months, especially for United, if they're still in FA Cup action, Europa League, games are going to come thick and fast for them. They'll be playing every few days and there's no guarantee they'll be winning these uh, games in hand. So, given all the doom and gloom at Tottenham a couple of weeks ago, Tottenham could potentially finish third if they keep up uh, the momentum. It's crazy. really is. We were talking, you know, last week about potentially dropping out of the top four, and that still can be the case because it's very tight there. Obviously, Newcastle in the running, Liverpool, Brighton have a couple of games in hand. They won as well last night. But, uh, you know, third could be there for him potentially, but let's see what happens. It's just a case of being consistent. That's what Tottenham have to be in the running. And I think not playing games in midweek will certainly help the cause as it did 12 months ago. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'll say it again. I think win at Southampton, 
And I think suddenly you've got something going there. There's a bit of momentum going there. Um, Liverpool, <coughs> excuse me, have got a, a tougher little run of games coming up. Uh, they've got some tricky ones in there. And, you know, they've they've shown that they can go and, well, they can win 7 0 against United and they can go and lose at Bournemouth. So anything can happen with that team. And if Spurs can just show that little bit more consistency, like I say, by the time it comes to that crunch week of three games, I think they could have a little cushion. Um, and I think, you know, there are teams below that, you know, maybe Brighton could put together a little bit of a run and get up there as well. But you'd think on paper they would maybe be the one less likely to do it. Newcastle, obviously, can could find a bit of momentum as well. But I think it is all on Spurs. I think if Spurs just concentrate on themselves, I know it's such an easy, cliche thing to say, but if they concentrate on themselves, try and pick up some points in this little run where, you know, they have got Southampton, Everton, who are down the bottom, but they are going to be scrapping and battling and they're not going to be easy games. But if they can come through those, and then they've got, um, is it Brighton or Bournemouth? Are they both at home? Yep. Yeah, yeah, Brighton and Bournemouth at home, Newcastle away, and then it's the Manchester United at home, Liverpool away in April. Yeah. yeah, so if this little run of four games coming up before that kind of tough week or tougher week, um, then, yeah, they've got absolutely every chance of doing it. But we need the proper Tottenham Hotspur to turn up and not the one that's kind of in the, the week before the Forest game was, was absolutely horrendous. So, yeah. Yeah, find a bit of momentum, and I think they might surprise us all a bit after a season which we thought was going to descend into chaos. It could end up descending into or ascending into something quite decent. Yeah, right. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Top Tottenham. As always, thank you for tuning in, and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.